you're seeking biblical wisdom and understanding in these difficult and trying times, and you recognize the power of God's Word to delve deep into the issues of the heart, then welcome to Biblical Counseling Today with Dr. John Kwasney, husband, father, counselor, author, and teacher. Join us for Christ-centered, gospel-driven truth concerning our individual, marital, and parenting struggles. This is Biblical Counseling Today. Welcome to Season 3 of Biblical Counseling Today. Our focus for these 12 upcoming episodes will be on problems in parenting. I must say it regularly amazes me how much parenting help is available to us today. Just a few years ago, the Christian researcher George Barna noted that approximately 75,000 books have been published on parenting just in the last decade. Add to that the blog sites, podcasts, parenting experts, talk shows, and even reality shows, and you, the parent, have plenty of techniques and tips to choose from. This overabundance of parenting help demonstrates at least two things. First, Raising children is an extremely tough task, and it always has been. And second, most parents today feel pretty inadequate for the job. Well, if you have been a parent for more than a few days, you know these to be true. Parenting is tough at every age and every stage from beginning to end. That doesn't mean it's impossible, and sometimes it can be going rather smoothly, but it is still hard. My wife, Marty, and I have been blessed to have eight children of our own. Two are currently married, two are in college, and four are still at home. The first five are girls, and the last three are boys. Now, even though we have a lot of experience and a lot of battle scars, we often talk about how tough this daily job is, how we have failed often, and how inadequate we feel. If you are a parent, I hope you feel pretty inadequate, too because the reality is that we are. We're weak and sinful people. We are not perfect. We don't have all the answers. Now this inadequacy can lead us many places, to wrong sources of help, insufficient books, wrong experts, or even the worst case, resignation. Where a true sense of inadequacy should lead us is to a greater dependence on the grace of God and on the gospel of Jesus Christ. As our Father, God alone is the perfect parent. It is only by this very act of grace of God that you can be a godly parent to your child. God gives us our children, and he also gives us his grace to raise them. Unfortunately, it is very tempting to parent independently from God's grace and thereby end up not passing that grace on to our children. So I want to share with you a foundational paradigm of parenting that centers on parenting by grace, with grace, and through the grace of God. As parents, we look to God for grace, train our children by his grace, with the confident hope in what the Spirit of Christ will do in their hearts. Before we can dig down more deeply into common parenting problems, we need to get on the firm foundation of parenting with grace. To begin to define and describe what I mean by parenting with grace, I want to start with a few parenting models that are the exact opposite of a grace-based model. These are three of the most tempting parenting models out there today. 
All three of these are much easier to raise children by. Less work, more convenient, and more in tune with our own sinfulness and our present culture. Yet these are all in opposition to biblical parenting. Be honest with yourself and see if any of these describes your current parenting methodology. The first one is spectator parenting. Spectator parenting. Its primary characteristics are children are mainly thought of as independent beings. Children are most often left to raise themselves. Parents are typically more focused on their own personal activities. Children end up being left to other people in order to train them and raise them. The primary assumption within this model is a child will develop just fine on his or her own. This form of parenting is driven by a wrong view of children, a wrong view of God's requirements for parents, or just simple laziness, all which deliver little to no grace to children. The focus of the spectator parent is watch a child grow up and hope for the best. Then secondly, there's the indulgent parenting model. Its primary characteristics are a child-centered home, children who rule the roost, very few limits, children who set the time, the pace, the mood. Parents typically give in to all demands just to keep the peace. A strong desire from parents to keep children happy, give them whatever they want. A strong desire to have children have it all, or at least much more than parents have. Typically, children are over-involved in many, many activities in this model. But fundamentally, this parenting model is driven by a wrong view of children and misguided love for children. Also, often an unwillingness to be the authority. Parents often wanting to be a friend first. So the focus of the indulgent parent is allow children all the freedom and other stuff they desire because I want to have a happy child. And then finally, there's the works-based parenting model. This is probably the most common form of parenting among Christians. The primary characteristics for a works-based parenting are, first, legalism pervades the home. A long list of do's and don'ts. Children must earn the love of the parent. Disobedient children are rejected and often unloved. There are high expectations that can never be lived up to. Manipulation is used to get children to behave. Parents are constantly disappointed. Children are motivated by fear, by control by perfectionism. A workspace model has the appearance of biblical parenting, though, but the focus of the workspace parent is clear. Do whatever it takes to have a well-behaved and moral child. Now, hopefully you can tell already that none of these three models are rooted in the grace of God for sinners. Yet each one of them can seem to have some good results which often keeps us parenting in these ways. But what does a biblical model of parenting with grace look like? Or another way to ask this question, how does God raise us 
as his children. Well, the following are the essential aspects, I think, of a more biblical parenting with grace model. First, it starts with a biblical view of yourself as a parent. To me, this is the key to all of our parenting, beginning from a place of godly humility instead of stubborn pride. I have to admit, when Marty and I first became parents, I was filled with parental pride. I just knew I would be a much better parent than my parents were to me. I had this thing figured out. After all, I I was a biblical counselor, and I had put on parenting seminars even before having my first child. How foolish I was. To parent with grace, you need to fully understand the depths of your own sinfulness as much as it's possible. You need to understand your daily, relentless need for the grace of God for your sanctification. Then you actually need to enjoy the transforming power of the gospel of grace. Again, as I said earlier, you have to recognize your own inadequacy as a parent. Yet on top of all of this biblical humility, you also must recognize your special and unique call to be a parent. When God gives you a child, he also calls you to be his or her parent, and he will actually equip you to parent his way. Second, you must hold firmly to a biblical view of your child. What does God's word have to say about children? Well, first and primarily, it says that your child is a gift from God. Listen to Psalm 127, 3 through 5. Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. Another translation more literally says that children are an inheritance from the Lord. An inheritance is a great gift, isn't it? We most often think we are working so hard to give our inheritance, our money, our possessions to our children. Or we may have even received an inheritance from our own parents or grandparents. But the reality is that our children are our greatest inheritance. Again, you heard it also referred to as our reward. Do you look at your child this way? Or is he or she just a burden? Joy in parenting is rooted in knowing by daily experience that your child is a gift from God. And not just head knowledge, but a heart attitude too. You truly must know it. Well, then next, if you're going to have a biblical understanding of your child, you have to believe that your child is an image bearer. Listen to Genesis 1.27 again. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Our children are made in the image of God. This makes them all special and unique as persons. Children are not evolved apes or animals, even when they act like it. They are image bearers. As parents, we are called to treat them as such and realize they have great potential to display Christ-like character when they are regenerated. Yet to have a full biblical view of your child, you must also see him or her as a sinner. We know this from places like Romans 5, verses 12 and 13. 
Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. Many parents are often shocked and surprised by their child's ability to sin. Yet Scripture tells us that our children are born in sin. The world tells us that children are born innocent or born basically good. We can easily operate from this belief in our parenting. Yet our children are sinful and their hearts are full of foolishness and evil. We must raise them in an understanding that they are forever lost as a sinner without Christ. Their ability to sin and even sin greatly should never shock us, nor should we pass off sin as something less than sin. And finally, if you're to have a right understanding of your child, you need to see your child as a unique creation. Your child is special to God and uniquely designed by him. That also means he or she was uniquely given to you. By extension, this means that you are the best parent for him or her. If you have more than one child, you must also recognize that they are all different. This might seem obvious, but we often parent all our children just about the same way. Parents often who say something like this, all my other children turned out fine, but not this one. Yet we raise them all the same. What happened? This can just demonstrate that you're not seeing your child as a unique creation. So these four basic biblical principles should form the core of a right view of your child. We can parent by grace only when we have this perspective and keep this right understanding. Then third, parenting by grace demands that we embrace a biblical view of rules and responsibilities. Parents must have expectations that are not unreasonable, standards that are wholly biblical. Children are not given cheap grace, but true grace. Even though we show grace as parents, this doesn't mean there are no rules or responsibilities that are required. Children are to be held to standards, yet quickly forgiven and given new opportunities to obey when they fail to meet God's standards. Fourth, Parenting with grace requires a biblical view of discipline. We'll talk a lot more about discipline as we dive into common parenting problems in later episodes. But a key component here is, when disciplined, your child must remain loved. Love reigns supreme in the grace-centered home. Love must always be the basis of discipline. Parenting by grace and with grace does not mean that you let your child get away with everything. Does God parent you that way? Discipline infused with God's grace is clear and maybe even severe, yet it is enriched by love and mercy that transforms a life. Fifth, parenting with grace always means making an effort to teach the child to understand his or her own sinfulness. If your child doesn't get a grasp of himself as a sinner, he will never recognize his need for Christ. We must never train our children to believe that they can stop sinning on their own. This is so key in our parenting. In order to enjoy the grace of God, our children need to see their inability to follow Jesus, their inability to cleanse their own sin, and that they don't deserve the grace and mercy of God at all. Six, parenting with grace means we long for true heart change in our children. 
As Christian parents, we understand that sin and foolishness are bound up in a child's heart. We must want inward change, not just outward show. Parenting with grace focuses on the heart, not just outward moral behavior. If our aim is just good citizen children, then we are keeping our children from the transforming grace of God. Seventh, parenting with grace holds on to a hope for the future. We must have a focus on the long term when it comes to our parenting, not just short-term temporary band-aids. We trust in the work of God in the hearts of our children. This is often a slow, painful process. So parenting with grace means parenting with patience. We know that God is sovereign over our child's salvation and sanctification as well. Finally, parenting with grace is drenched in godly love for the unlovely and unlovable. It is so easy to love and raise our children when they are lovable and compliant. Yet sin has made them unlovely from birth. If you are not loving your child in his or her unloveliness, you are not parenting with the grace of God. God's grace for us is driven by his love for us even in our unloveliness. If instead you are looking to love and parent out of some inherent loveliness in your child, you will be regularly disappointed or worse. So these eight principles form the framework of a parenting with grace model. When you truly enjoy the grace of God in your own life, then you must become a channel of grace to your children for the glory of God and for their own good. Now let's talk about putting some flesh onto our Parenting with Grace framework. Think with me on the subject of how to establish a kingdom of grace in your home. A kingdom of grace in your home. That begins with the understanding that your home is a sort of kingdom, a mini-kingdom. I want you to think of it that way. And by extension, that means that the head of each family is the husband. He is the king of his small realm. The chief advisor to this head is his wife. She is the queen. The subjects of this small realm are the children, princes and princesses. This kingdom understanding also recognizes that our children are just temporary subjects. They're supposed to be brought up to be colonists at the proper time and planting little mini kingdoms of their own. And we also recognize that these subjects, as I've said, are not slaves or servants. They're your heirs. They must be treated as such. Yet they're also called to obey, to be subject to you. Well, then we understand that your home as a mini kingdom is a mini kingdom within the greater kingdom. The Christian home is a kingdom that exists within the kingdom of God. So we must never think of ourselves as independent realms designing our own kingdoms the way that we want them. Within the kingdom of God, our families are placed in kingdom communities, which we commonly call local churches. Consider some of the important ramifications of this conceptualization. While a father can be thought of as a king, he's only a junior king who serves the king of kings. Christ is the head of the husband, as Scripture tells us. 
We also know that families are meant to be connected to other Christian families. This is grace for our families. We also recognize that non-Christian families are suffering in the kingdom of darkness. What will our family's interaction be with these families? Hopefully we want to draw them into the kingdom of light. And then finally, our goal is to send out our children to extend the kingdom of God by having their own Christian kingdom families. Well, another part of this picture is that your kingdom and all of our kingdoms have their own culture. Each family, each small kingdom creates a certain culture, the way their kingdom operates, certain traditions, certain values, certain practices. The royal children are shaped by the culture of their family. They are malleable and will be shaped. The question is, is your kingdom a Christ-centered kingdom where parenting with grace can be done effectively? Or is it more of a child-centered kingdom where everything is done for the royal princes and princesses, letting the royal children run the castle? Or is it a parent-centered kingdom? Everything for the adults. Children are pushed to the side. Children are raised more by others than their own parents like we talked about earlier. Or is it sort of an individualistic kingdom you're creating? Everyone does what is right in his or her own eyes. Everyone is an individual doing his own thing. Much more separatism than unity. Or maybe you're establishing a kingdom without walls where your kingdom is under daily assault from its enemies because your home has no protection, no border walls, no security. Your culture, in other words, is shaped more by the secular culture than by the word of God. And your children are offered little protection from the lies and sinful attitudes of this world. Now, we'll talk much more in later episodes about the world and its culture and how it affects your culture. Outside culture will always come in, but will it flow over your children like a tsunami, a tidal wave, a river, a stream, or just a trickle? So finally, we must fight for a Christ-centered kingdom of grace, where everything is submitted to the Lordship of Christ where the home is run by God's word, not simply our own opinions, our own experiences, our own desires. This is the only God-glorifying home. This is a culture of grace. This Christ-centered kingdom is where parenting with grace can take place. Now it looks different in each one of our homes, yet it always includes the following commitments. I call these the commitments of grace. Commitment is a state of the heart, isn't it? It's what our heart is attached to. Commitment is then demonstrated by what we think about, talk about, and act on. In other words, what we spend our time thinking about, talking about, and doing shows what we are committed to. For example, I enjoy playing golf, sort of, but I'm not committed to the game. How do I know? I don't think much about it. I rarely engage in conversation about it, and I play infrequently and practice even less. Many of my friends and even family members, on the other hand, are very committed to their hobby of golf. It is shown by the amount of attention they give to it. So when we talk about commitment, 
It is a state of the heart that is demonstrated in our actions. It's not just a feeling. You may say that you are committed to being a Christian parent, but is it something you think about biblically, talk about often, and act upon? Or is it just a desire that is easily pushed aside by other things? Well, getting your commitment to parenting with grace straight involves four basic commitments, and here they are. First, a commitment to the Lord. It starts here. Without a commitment to the Lord, parenting is ineffective, as we've already said. Your desire to be a good parent, then, must come from a love for God and a desire to glorify Him. Not a commitment just to look good in front of others or a commitment to have a happy life or even a commitment to have successful, happy children. We parent to the glory of God, period. Second, we must have a commitment to the Word of God. How can a person be committed to the Lord and not to God's Word? Unfortunately, we Christians demonstrate this strange dichotomy by looking to any and every other source of information for our wisdom and knowledge about parenting. So are you committed to the primacy of God's Word in your parenting? Does the Bible have the final word on the subject? Or does modern pop psychology or human-centered philosophies have the last word? A commitment to grace is a commitment to the Word of God. Third, we must have a commitment of parent to parent. Our marriages preach to and teach our children, don't they? Too many parents are not committed to helping each other in their parenting. They spend much more time criticizing each other than actually helping each other. Or many parents are parenting as individuals, doing their own thing their own way. Or a parent may be much more committed to their children than they are to their spouse. None of these options will do. God calls us to be committed to each other in our marriage and in our parenting. You and your spouse are to be a team. The children were given to both of you, not just to one of you. Do your children see that commitment to each other, or do they see more opposition to one another? And then finally, you must have a commitment to your children. God commands us to be committed to our children. This is commitment in good times and bad times in our parenting. And notice that it's the last of the four commitments. We cannot be just committed to our children, or we will not raise them biblically by grace. When you as parents make these grace commitments to be committed to the Lord, to his word, to one another, then you will seek that your children have two major commitments as well. First, you want them to have a commitment to the Lord. I hope you want this most of all. I hope you teach your child to obey you because it is pleasing to God not just because it pleases you or just because I'm your daddy. Our children must learn that their behavior either glorifies God or it doesn't. They were created to glorify him first. And then they must have a commitment to parents. Their commitment to you must be based on a commitment to God first. You will fail them, but God will not. You do not want them to just do what you say because you are the parent. You want to see dependence on God first. 
And you cannot call for a commitment to you as a parent if you're not following through on your commitments to your children and to the Lord. This is the essence of hypocrisy. Well, finally, to sum up this paradigm of parenting with grace, listen to the Apostle Paul writing to Titus in Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. He writes, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. So just a few closing words of application from this text. First, it is the grace of God that trains you as a parent. The word training in verse 12 has the same root as pedagogy, which is the word for the training of children. This sort of training is one that is gentle and loving, yet firm and clear. It is training step by step and little by little. This is how God trains us. So, secondly, we must train our children by grace, in grace, with grace. This means we walk with our children step by step, inch by inch, little by little. We are patient, kind, gracious, loving, yet also clear and firm of what is required. It is training done with great joy and gladness. But this text also shows us that grace training has negative and positive aspects. Again, listen to verse 12, training us this grace to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Training with and by grace keeps you and your children from worldly and ungodly things. Yet it also positively begins to prepare the way for the living of self-controlled, upright lives as God's grace changes their little hearts. And finally, grace training or parenting with grace looks in hope to the future. As Christians, our hope is always in our Redeemer and his love for us and his return for us, his bride. Our future hope for our children is that they would also be born afresh in Christ and eternally live and walk in him. We are motivated in our parenting by this future hope. So don't ever think of grace in parenting as the opposite of rules or discipline. It is not always smiles and laughs and good times. Parenting with grace is not passive in the least. Always equate it with God's grace for you. God's grace is active. God's grace does not negate his justice and truth and righteousness and law. God's grace, though, is transformational. God's grace operates out of joy and peace. God's grace flows from love for sinners, etc., etc. Always keep these things in mind, and we begin tackling specific parenting issues in our next episode. Thank you for listening to Biblical Counseling Today with Dr. John Kwasney. This weekly podcast is supported by Biblical Counseling and Training Ministries, which you can learn more about at bctministries.com. 
If you have found yourself encouraged or challenged today, please share this podcast with your church, family, and friends. Rate us on iTunes and your social media outlets. It really helps. Until next time, may you enjoy the riches of God's compassionate grace and mercy in your life.